for about six weeks um, before I was elected to city council, I lived in my car on the streets of Burbank and I had a full-time job. I was working, you know, 60 hours a week and couldn't afford to pay the rent. I can't, I can't tell you how many people have been couch surfing and they don't consider that homelessness. And I asked them, well, how long have you been couch surfing? They say, well, you know, about six to eight months. I'm like, that's you. You're, you're part of the statistics. Welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. For Thanksgiving, I was trying to think what I wanted to talk about. There are a lot of things in my life that I'm thankful for. My continued good health with a terrible disease, the advances of modern medicine, my amazing family, including my spectacular teenage son, who appears to be growing up into kind of a new kind of man who doesn't want to dominate but collaborate, my amazing husband, who started this project with me, and even though he runs his own company, still edits most of my pods and all of my rants, my father, who I'm building a new relationship with after the death of my mother. My amazing in-laws, who are basically Santa and Mrs. Claus if they lived in Oregon. Just the kindest people imaginable. And my father-in-law is also a legitimate Navy hero. I'm deeply grateful for my friends, for having work that gives me purpose. I'm grateful to the people in America who are waking up to what's going on, who are unhappy with what they're seeing and are putting in the work to fight back. Watching what happened this year in Wisconsin and Ohio and Virginia and Pennsylvania, it gave me hope that people are really starting to understand the stakes and are simply not willing to just let go of our democracy and human rights. I'm just so thankful people are starting to dial in. When I started Politics Girl, it was because so many people didn't care about politics. They didn't like how the country was working, but they didn't realize that they could make a difference. So I'm deeply grateful that people are now realizing they can. And I'm looking forward to us fighting together with everything we have to save our nation from rising authoritarianism in 2024. It's really quite a time to be alive. And in many ways, it's a very scary time to live in this world. But I believe that the forces of good are stronger and more powerful than the alternative. On a micro level, I'm thankful to have a roof over my head. And even though my house is kind of falling apart, I absolutely love it. I love this little home. And thanks to the wonderful Politics Girl Premium members, we've recently been able to take on a little more space so we can now move the podcast out of our living room. I'm deeply grateful to this amazing group of people who have allowed me to move this project forward and try and make a difference in this country. If you are inspired by this movement, please don't forget to check out politicsgirl.com premium. We would be so grateful to have you as part of the team. As we come up on Thanksgiving and the holiday season, I hope you have things in your life that you're thankful for. I think it's always great to take a moment between Black Friday shopping and cooking and visiting with family to look around at what we actually have. Life is hard, and sometimes we have to take a moment to remind ourselves of what's good. With that in mind, I'm going to have a conversation today with the mayor of Burbank. And you might be thinking, whoa, that took a turn. How does the mayor of Burbank have anything to do with being thankful? Isn't that a little niche? Well, it's not. Because when I was thinking about what I was thankful for, I really did keep returning to having a roof over my head. The homelessness crisis in America has become extraordinary. I live in Los Angeles, and our mayor's first order of business when she was elected was to declare a state of emergency for the homeless. Housing has just become out of reach for so many Americans, not just in the big cities, but all over the country. Yes, it's partially a mental health issue, but it's also just a cost of living issue and a greed issue. Everything has become too expensive. We don't make enough money and we can't afford to live like we used to. And sometimes that means we can't afford a place to live at all. So I invited Constantine Anthony on, not just because he's an excellent mayor who is now running for LA County Supervisor, but because he's been incredibly successful with the homeless, perhaps in part because he understands the issue firsthand, having once been homeless himself. That's right. The mayor of Burbank, running an extraordinarily successful administration, was once an unhoused person. And I thought, who better within the context of politics to talk about what we're grateful for and how someone can make a move to turn their life around and then use that knowledge to turn around the life of others. A community activist and organizer, Constantine has lobbied for union benefits and legislation to support workers' rights since he joined his first union in 2004. Before being elected mayor, he was an elected representative of the Burbank City Council, and now, as I said, he is running for L.A. County Supervisor in District 5. But mostly, we're going to talk today about the housing problem in America. I hope you will find it an inspiring and engaging conversation. 
So without further ado, please welcome my guest, Mayor of Burbank, Constantine Anthony. Welcome, Constantine. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, thank you for joining me. I mean, since this was our Thanksgiving episode, I was talking in the introduction about all the things I'm grateful for. And one of those things is my job, because I'm so thrilled to be finally living a life of purpose. And I was thinking of you. And as a public servant and an elected official, you might also have that feeling with your job, that you're out here trying to make a difference and do things that can really change people's lives. You want to tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. I, I'm very thankful that I have the position I do where I can advocate for the things that, you know, regular everyday Americans are asking for uh, affordable yeah. housing, um, good schools, safe streets, you know, just to be able to not worry about, is there trash getting picked up in the morning, little stuff like that. But then at the same time, because I'm the mayor of a major media city uh, Burbank has you know more production houses and studios in it um, per capita than even Los Angeles people look to me for messaging on a, a greater national level and so I have been sort of forced in the spotlight this last year on a number of issues um, the local SAG strike here a number of uh, transgender and LGBTQ inclusivity conversations with uh, school districts, so many issues that are happening locally here in my city, but also across the country, especially with regards to homelessness. That, that's like the biggest thing that everyone's talking about out here. Yeah. Well, I know you ran for the Burbank City Council on a very progressive agenda, and you were kind of unapologetically bold in your intentions for homelessness and housing justice and community policing. And ultimately, I think you were very clear that you wanted to help people who really needed it the most. And I know that during the pandemic, you did things like increase uh, grocery store worker pay by $5 an hour and limited food delivery app fees for Burbank restaurants so people could get food without being gouged. And you made vaccine requirements mandatory for city employees to try and keep people as healthy as possible. But you've also done things like adopting Burbank's first ever gun control ordinance to keep your community safer. And that's a really big deal, right? You did things like removing what you saw as homophobic ordinances and gendered language from Burbank city code to respect the diversity of your community. You streamlined the construction of affordable housing in your city. And for the first time in Burbank's history, you passed a local tenant protection for renters. And I think these are really important things that we want to be talking about. And like you said, like, it's this homelessness issue that we keep coming back to. And it's something that I was also talking about in my introduction about how pleased I am to have a roof over my head because it's something that not everyone has these days, even people with full-time jobs who don't have this. So let's talk a little bit about the housing protections that you fought for because you've been quoted saying that the things you're working on aren't just political issues, they're personal to you. And I shared in the introduction that you yourself have actually experienced homelessness. So would you mind sharing that story with our listeners so that they understand sort of where we're coming from? Last year when I became mayor, I was actually the very first diagnosed autistic mayor in the country. Um, I have struggled with jobs and housing security and you know, financial problems my entire life. It's very tough as a disabled American to, you know, even keep a roof over your head. So for about six weeks um, before I was elected to city council, I lived in my car on the streets of Burbank and I had a full-time job. I was working, you know, 60 hours a week and couldn't afford to pay the rent. And so many individuals, uh, here in the city and, and, and beyond understood that and, and saw themselves in the campaign that we were running. I run as a progressive because I believe that those values, you know, increased wages, housing affordability, uh, social safety net, it's universal for all people's needs. And in fact, I did really well with a lot of the conservative voters here in the city. Burbank historically was a very conservative town. We were a sundown town. We were a redlined district. A lot of old racist ideology um, was still present um, when I was running for office. And I cut through all of that 
messaging with a message of my own, um, a message of hope, a message of prosperity. I tell people all the time, I, 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 I use this as my calling card. When In 2020, when I ran, there was a house that had a giant uh, Joe Biden um, uh, sign on their garage and my campaign sign in their front yard. And then two houses down, a huge Trump flag, Trump 2020, and my campaign sign in their front yard. <laughs> and it's because the things that I ran on, the issues I was talking about, appealed to every voter. You know, when I when I talk about police accountability, you know, both conservatives and progressives, they don't want a police force that has impunity above the law. They want good policing and they want to make sure that if you're not doing good, you are held accountable. And so that kind of messaging really resonates with every type of voter. Um, it's, it's very simple, basic stuff. And I think it also shows that uh, your story is not one that is unique. You're not alone in your story. You know, like you said, you know, you're out there, you're working in a gig economy like so many Americans do. I believe you were driving for Uber at the time, but you had no union to protect you, no union to negotiate on your behalf. You watched your wages continue to drop. And then you find yourself unable to continue to afford housing in this city. And that seems like a pretty normal story for so many people these days. Like statistics show us that about 30% of people without homes are experiencing what's called toxic patterns or chronic patterns of homelessness, which is when someone has been without a home for more than 12 months or has experienced extended periods of homelessness over the past three years. Because I know that you've said you were homeless multiple times. Like you would you would be living in your car and then you'd be like back on your feet and then you'd be back in your car again. And I think that's what happens to people all the time. I mean, you can see it right across America. This is not something that is just happening to you. This is something that is happening to so many Americans, which is probably why so many people resonate with you because you're telling an authentic story. I can't, I can't tell you how many people have been couch surfing and they don't consider that homelessness. And I ask them, well, how long have you been couch surfing? They say, well, you know, about six to eight months. I'm like, that's you. You're you're part of the statistics. Or or yeah, having to yeah. move back in with their parents for a short period of time. Or or their parents having to move in with their children. Unless you have planned on it and you added a, an extension to your home or an addition to, you know, the, the place where you're already living, things like that, that's part of this, your, what you would call chronic homelessness where there is a lack of housing security across the country. Yeah. And you know what? Just so to give people some perspective and background, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, which is known as HUD, defines homelessness as being both sheltered and unsheltered people. So sheltered people are those people who are living in any sort of shelter, a domestic abuse shelter, a traditional shelter, a safe haven for individuals with mental illness, hotels, motels. Unsheltered people are the ones who are living outdoors, who are living in their cars, who live in abandoned buildings or any other place that wasn't meant for human habitation. So right now, HUD believes there are over half a million Americans experiencing homelessness right now, which is about 18 in 10,000. 60% of those are cisgendered men. 38% of those are cisgendered women. And about 1% are trans or non-binary people. California, where we both live, has the vast majority of the homeless population in America. In 2022, the statistics from HUD had California homeless population around 171,000, with the next biggest state being New York with 74,000. And the rest of the states in America have about between 1,000 and 25,000, with the smallest population of homeless people belonging to Virginia, which is currently sitting at 175 people. So, But I just want to be really clear that we can't blame California or New York for this problem like people so much love to do, right? We have to remember that in California, one in eight people in America live in this state. So a high population also accounts for a higher population of homeless people and unhoused people. Most states have seen their homeless populations rise since 2019, including four states, which you probably wouldn't expect, Delaware, Vermont, Louisiana, and Maine, whose homeless population has more than doubled since 2019. It's veterans that are experiencing it even at a higher rate. And these are people that served our country. So we need to be aware that this is happening 
right across the country. I want to actually push back on something you said there where we can't blame California. You're like, I certainly can. I I certainly can. All Um, right. Tell me why. So back in the 1960s, Governor Ronald Reagan made a promise to build uh, the infrastructure necessary to treat the mentally ill, the drug addicted and the homeless um, and signed a bunch of bills to do so and then proceeded for the next few years to not be able to find the money in the budget and left office with that empty promise. And one of the biggest problems we have in California is that so many people want to live here. We have created a state that is very friendly and safe, especially for people of color, for women, for LGBTQ individuals. And so one of the reasons we have such a difficult housing problem in California is because everyone is leaving all of these red states where there are no social safety nets, where there are no good jobs, where you have, you know, very restrictive and regressive policies and politics targeting people and making life unbearable. So one, you have an old conservative mindset from the 60s that was put in place and many very uh, racist laws in California, including something called Article 34 and Costa Hawkins, two laws that make it very difficult to keep housing uh, affordable, both of which are going to be on the ballot in November. So make sure to vote to repeal both of those, Article 34 and Costa Hawkins. Um, that's in next November. These are old, old, uh, you know, uh, Republican laws that were passed decades ago, and we need to repeal them. But second, if the rest of the country was a better place to live, <laughs> we wouldn't have all these people fleeing to California and New York. It is so heartbreaking to see um, middle America get devastated, not just with you know conservative ideology, but what is uh, traditionally known as uh, neoliberal economic policies and bad trade policy. We've seen you know the Rust Belt get destroyed by sending all our jobs overseas. We've seen a lot of um, infrastructure and industrial jobs uh, leave the country and go to places that don't have unions, that don't have union protections. You know, you mentioned um, my story is unique, but also relatable. One of the things I did when I was driving for Uber and Lyft was find a union that was organizing to raise wages, SCAU 721. They have been fighting to get worker protections for Uber and Lyft drivers for years now. I worked with them on something called the um, AB5 campaign, where we went directly to Sacramento and lobbied lawmakers to pass something called AB5, Assembly Bill 5. And then the next year, when Uber and Lyft spent, you know, millions and millions of dollars to overturn AB5, I campaigned to block Prop 22, the AB5 overturn. And then after that, I even worked on the legal side to uh, stop Prop 22 from being implemented um, uh, through the courts. And so there's so many steps that we can take that, you know, I hate to say, yes, blame California, but there are aspects of California and corporate and conservative companies and individuals who are in California making it difficult. And and that's who we need to fight against. I, I tell people all the time, you think you live in a very blue and liberal state. And I got news for you. (laughs) It's not as blue as you think it is. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a lot of laws on the books, like these ones you're trying to repeal in 24, that are still holding us back from old red administrations. And also particularly the Ronald Reagan administration, who also closed all of our mental health facilities and then put everyone out on the street. And then people are struggling with that now. Right. I mean, one thing research has shown us is that rising rent which California definitely has, and job losses are major contributors to homelessness, as well as poverty, domestic abuse. And we should see homelessness and unhoused uh, communities as 
a public health concern because that's how they're being defined now. Like it doesn't just affect the unhoused. People that are unhoused on our streets, it doesn't just affect them. It affects everyone in the community. Everyone will benefit if we can reduce homelessness, not just because it's the right thing to do and it looks better on the city streets and people are safer, but because there actually is a correlation, right, between homelessness and crime. There's a correlation between homelessness and mental health problems. There's people that get on drugs because they're on the street. They're not on the street because they're on drugs. It's the other way around. That happens. So people being housed isn't just good and compassionate thing to do. It will also help make our communities safer and better for everyone. And so, by the way, uh, to the powers listening, would paying people a living wage, that would also be very helpful. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I think we should also note between the two of us that criminalizing homelessness Everyone realizes now that that doesn't really seem to help, that police officers can be used to help identify or survey locations or maybe access dangerous areas like abandoned buildings. But we know now that police presence can also cause homeless individuals to be less trustful and therefore less forthcoming with their information, less willing to take help and less willing to interact with the people that might be there to help them. Um, And so there's other ways that we should be going about it rather than just criminalizing the homeless. And, you know, I work in city government, so I interact with police all the time. These officers, they don't want to do that job. Yeah, that's not what they were hired to do. Yeah, they joined the academy because they want to stop crime and, and help people in times of danger, they're not trained to deal with mental health crises or drug addiction. They're there to stop bad guys. And there's nothing bad about the person who's become homeless. What's the problem is the situation that creates homelessness. And and how do we fight that? Yeah. How do we fight that? I mean, I was looking on the um, National Alliance to End Homelessness website, and it's a great site. And one of the things they were saying is that we solve homelessness by having a community-wide coordinated approach where every part of the system is involved. So we deliver services, we offer housing, we have more affordable housing, we offer programs to people in need, including longer term rental assistance and services to support people's stability so they can stay in that assistance and not go back into that cycle and end up back in their car again, like we were talking about, as well as an effective crisis response center for people to who need immediate help and immediate needs so they don't fall into homelessness and then can't get back out of it. And we also need programs and legislation, which is where you come in and where the federal government comes in, to increase income and raise our minimum wage and help support affordable housing long term. So we have more buildings, more housing. I know that there's a lot of people, even in Los Angeles proper, that are saying, let us build up a little higher so we can have more homes closer to people's jobs. You know, if you work at a grocery store in a place where no one can build over two stories, then you can't build housing for the people that can actually afford to work and live close to each other. Yeah. And all that stuff, that's exactly the kind of um, issues that I ran on in 2020. Those are the exact issues that I pushed for and implemented here in the city of Burbank. And in fact, last year, we were one of only a handful of cities in all of LA County that reduced our homeless population. Everywhere else it went up, but we actually housed our people because we led with services first and doing the outreach and getting people into shelter and into housing. And we did all of that without our own homeless shelter. Um, But I am proud to say that we did for the first time uh, under my leadership earmarked funding for our own local Burbank homeless shelter for the first time ever. And Hopefully we'll be opening that up um, by the end of next year. And that's going to just increase our ability to do the crisis response to get people um, immediately housed because that's the one component we've been missing. And I should tell people, you should know that Burbank has one of the best records in homelessness in this state. L.A. Mayor Karen Bass has been speaking to you, I know, about your successes as she tries to tackle the homeless crisis for the whole city. And it's do you feel that it's it's working in many ways because you've lived it so you can kind of experience it differently. I mean, you've said out loud and very proudly, honestly, that you know the anguish of sleeping in your car and you know what it's like to try and get a job or get job accommodations as someone living with autism. You clearly understand the struggles that regular people face better than most 
elected officials can sometimes understand. And that probably helps you be a better leader. Do you find that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. When Karen Bass actually took office, she had her um, housing department head call me and said, hey, what are you guys doing in Burbank? And so I, I walked her entire team through it. I showed her everything that we're doing. But there's been a lack of work towards uh, ending homelessness for a long time in Los Angeles. We've only recently seen a progressive wave of politicians in LA City. And I know that sounds kind of odd. Most people watching your show from around the country are thinking, no, it's it's LA. They've, they've been progressive forever. They're all a bunch of lefties. Not in local politics. In 2020, uh, when Nithya Rahman got elected, she was arguably the first progressive in a long time, ever since uh, Mike Bonin, to be elected to office. And immediately after Nithya, there was uh, Hugo Soto Martinez and Ulysses Hernandez. We got an excellent uh, city controller in uh, Kenneth Mejia. So like now the electeds are coming in, but so much of the work has been pushed back for years, for years. You can go back and look at uh, statements and votes made by uh, Councilmember Mike Bonin years ago as the lone dissenting progressive trying to get people to understand what was going on. And, he, you know, of 15 council members, you had one who was like, no, this is this is actually how you solve things. And this is how you be progressive. And nobody wanted to listen to him. Well, this is also why we need to focus on local politics. I mean, I want people to voting in national elections. We have to be paying attention to what's going on in the House and the Senate. And we have to know what's going on in our state houses. These are very important races. But local politics is often where things really get changed. And it's amazing that we have an elected official right now in Karen Bass, who, you know, at the very beginning of her time in office, she was like, Who's making it work? Let me talk to them. It's the opposite of this I alone, I can fix it mentality that we often see from the right, from the far right, from the mega Republicans. It's like, let me just be in charge. Give me all the power and I'll fix it. Whereas this is about community working together with community. Like what's working for you? Let's get that. This worked over here. Let's do that. These are old legislations we have on the books. We need to fix that. So when people go in to vote, they have to know who's looking out for me, who actually understands these issues, who is going to start changing things from the ground up because people often think that politics can never be changed, that it's always going to be the same, that it doesn't matter, which is why they check out from it. And I often say, you know, not paying attention to politics doesn't mean politics doesn't affect you. It means you can't affect it. And if you're paying attention, we can elect leaders like you who understand the problems from literally the ground level and can start making real change because you're looking at it differently. But I should also mention, you know, federally, the Biden-Harris administration has already announced a plan to reduce homelessness by 25% by 2025. And the White House, in combination with the U.S. Interagency Council on Homelessness, has been working with a number of cities and states, Los Angeles included, to receive a lot of different programs to try and help with these problems. Everything from federal assistance and minimizing red tape. So they're doing things like offering technical support to help analyze city and state data. So you can say, okay, this is where we need to fix it. We just didn't have the team before in place to help us do that. And government agencies are offering volunteers for outreach in communities. And I think those are the things we have to be thinking about because government really can be here to help, despite what Reagan told us. Government actually can help if we hire the right people to do the job. But we're clearly in a place in our society where something has to give. There's so many Americans who can't afford housing anymore. The workers of America are clearly at a breaking point. Even those people with full-time jobs, as we said, often end up on the street or end up in a place that they can't really fit into anymore. I know that my personal family, we have outgrown our house for years, but we can't afford to do the next step. So we stay where we are, which means that the people who should move into our house have to stay where they are, which means that the people that should move into that one bedroom apartment have to stay where they are in their studio and the people that should be moving into studios end up in their cars. And it's like a bottleneck that goes along. And so these these changes have to be done because I think people are waking up to the idea that our low wages, our lack of services, the corporations buying up all of our real estate 
it's not going to work long term, right? It's why unions are having such a resurgence right now. And we're talking about things like housing as a human right. People are starting to think differently because they can see that what we've done is clearly not working. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I spent the last six months on strike with my fellow SAG-AFTRA members. I I was an uh, actor for 25 years. I'm still in the union. And all of those folks, you know, they put their lives on the line because they weren't getting paid and they were likely going to lose their homes. And yet they fought for those wages. And and that's what happens at the local level. You know, the, the president and Congress, they deal with trade policy and immigration and, and foreign affairs. But housing, that's a local issue. But Joe Biden can give me all of the money in the world if I can't get three votes on a city council to approve housing construction. That money's not going anywhere. And this is true up and down the state, across the country, people have to get involved in their local politics. Most people I talk to have never attended a school board meeting or have been to their local city hall during a council session. They don't even know who their mayor is, right? A lot of people don't. And it's very unfortunate. They know who the president is. They may know who their governor is, but that's about it. And so getting involved locally, that's how you really fix the issues around you. So what I would encourage this Thanksgiving, I would be very thankful for every single person watching your show to look up who their mayor is, who's on their school board, and just put in their calendars when the meetings are. City council meetings, school board meetings. I bet you it's easy to get to because it's probably right down the street from you. Maybe not in LA, but elsewhere in the country. Take a drive and sit in on a meeting. You'd be surprised at the things that they're voting on. Absolutely shocked. Tonight at Burbank City Hall, we are proclaiming Transgender Awareness Week. It sounds simple enough, but how many cities have done it? How many cities have said we are safe and inclusive for this very small percentage of the population that is being targeted, that has more trouble with housing security, more trouble with health care than any other population? And are we doing the very best to treat them with equality and support? You know, we do things a little differently here in Burbank, and I encourage everybody else who's watching your show to get involved, find their local electeds and see what they're working on. And maybe you might not like what they're doing ah. and you're going to want to change it. And you're going to want to change it. That's right. <laughs> that's the point. Once you know, that's why all these Moms for Liberty started taking over school boards because no one was paying attention. Mm-hmm. And now we're sort of paying attention. I think people are more aware from, of school boards than they have been for forever. But I love your idea. For Thanksgiving, go up and look out who your mayor is. Look of who your local council is. Check out when their next meeting is and write it on your calendar. I will also say, with the spirit of the season in mind and with winter on its way, there's lots of personal ways you can also serve our homeless community. You can make donations of basic items, anything from cash to groceries to clothes to shelters and organizations that deal directly with the unhoused. Consider the time of the year, by the way, when you donate clothing. So it's seasonal. So you're sending coats when they need coats and that kind of thing. And don't forget that shelters also always need personal products, anything from bras and underwear to socks and toiletries that will go so far to help the people in your community. You can also go out and serve and cook a meal. You can volunteer at a local shelter, not just with your skills and your time, but with your heart. You know, people often say that when they become homeless or when they become unhoused, they don't feel seen by their society anymore. They feel like they're invisible or they're someone that should be ashamed of themselves. And often when we go and we volunteer, just talking to people, just looking them in the eyes, serving the meal, doing the work, but being there and seeing them as people who deserve your kindness goes so far. And then of course, you can always donate personal and professional skills that you might have. If you're a plumber, if you're an accountant, if you do carpentry or fundraising or you're a lawyer or your dentist, you do childcare, you can offer these skills that you have, these professional skills to shelters or check out volunteer opportunities to see where someone might need your skills to help them pro bono at a time where your skills could really serve them. And so if you're in a position to do so, do so. You know, go out and encourage your company or your school or your place of worship to hire people who are experiencing homelessness because most unemployed homeless adults, they 
desperately want to work, but they need an employer to give them a chance. And that hand up could be exactly what they need to help someone get back on their feet. How did you end up getting back on your feet when you were, when you were in that situation? Who gave you a hand up? Did you know that traditional bed sheets can harbor more bacteria than a toilet seat? Well, you do now. And these kind of germs on your bedding can lead to acne and allergies and stuffy noses, not to mention just being gross, which is why I'm pleased to tell you that Miracle Made offers a whole line of self-cleaning, eco-friendly bedding such as sheets, pillowcases, and comforters that prevent up to 99% of bacteria and require three times less laundry. Miracle Made sheets are infused with silver that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. Miracle sheets are also incredibly comfortable and luxurious without the high price tag of other luxury brands. But see for yourself. Go to trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl to try it today or gift it to someone this holiday season. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Save over 40% by using the promo code politicsgirl at checkout, and you'll also get three free towels and save an extra 20%. That's a heck of a deal. And Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you will get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep today with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl and use the code politicsgirl to claim your three free towels and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash politicsgirl to treat yourself, a friend, or a loved one this holiday season. And even if you have the loveliest, cleanest sheets, you might still have trouble sleeping. My husband didn't used to have any trouble. In fact, it was a running joke that we'd get into bed and I'd want to download the entire day and he'd already be asleep. But he's had so much on his plate lately that it started to interrupt his sleeping pattern. So he started drinking Beam Dream before bed. Beam Dream is a healthy hot cocoa for sleep. It contains an all-natural blend of reishi, magnesium, L-theanine, melatonin, and nano-CBD to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. In fact, a recent clinical study showed that Dream helped 93% of users wake up feeling more refreshed, and 93% reported that Dream helped them get more restful night's sleep. You just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, stir or froth, and drink at bedtime. Watching Sean, I can see why people are raving about it. Sleep is the foundation of our mental and physical health, and it affects our performance throughout the day if we're not getting enough or if the quality is off. If you want to feel good, then having a consistent nighttime routine that gets you true rest is non-negotiable. Today, my listeners get a special discount on Beam Dream Powder, their best-selling hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Now available in delicious seasonal flavors like cinnamon cacao, sea salt caramel, and white chocolate peppermint. Find out why Forbes and the New York Times are talking about Beam and why it's trusted by the world's top athletes and business professionals. If you want to try Beam's best-selling dream powder, take advantage of their biggest sale of the year and get up to 50% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash politicsgirl. The discount is applied at checkout, so no code is necessary. That's shopbeam.com slash politicsgirl for up to 50% off. Beam Dream. Better sleep has never tasted. So the holiday season is here, and that means fancy outfits. And for us women, that often means uncomfortable shapewear to make those outfits look their best. For the men in my audience who don't know, let me tell you, the shapewear we wear that sucks us in and smooths us out can also be quite suffocating, like we're constricted within an inch of our lives, which is why I'm happy to be talking about Honey Love. Their shapewear, along with being actually attractive, has what's called targeted compression technology that distinguishes between the areas where you want more support and areas where you need less compression. Their signature X targets and sculpts your midsection without squeezing away all your natural curves. Plus, thanks to the flexible boning hidden in the side seams, it won't ever roll down, so you don't have to be fussing with it all day. Honey Love also put a lot of effort into designing their shapewear, so it's just as easy to put on as it is to take off. It turns out you don't have to give up breathing just to look snatched. It shouldn't be hard, and you will immediately notice the difference. So treat yourself to the best bra and shapewear on the market, and for this month only, save up to 60% off site-wide at honeylove.com politicsgirl. If you ever wanted to try Honey Love bras, shapewear, or clothing, now is the time. Inventory is limited and the sale ends soon, so take advantage of the best deals of the year. Lose the bra bulge, stop wearing uncomfortable underwire, and give yourself the gift of comfort and style this holiday season. Also, after you buy something, if they ask you how you heard about them, please consider supporting the show and telling them that we sent you. Remember, for this month only, you get up to 60% off site-wide. Visit honeylove.com politicsgirl for their November sale. 
thank you, Honey Love, for sponsoring this episode. How did you end up getting back on your feet when you were when you were in that situation? Lots of help. Lots, Lots of, of help. help. Right? Yes. yes. A lot of friends, um, support system, and you know, understanding that it wasn't permanent because I'd been homeless before and then I'd been housed again. So a lot of people, the very first time they become homeless, fall into despair and yes. can't get out of it. Um, and that's a real, real struggle. Once somebody has been homeless for more than you know six to eight weeks, it becomes increasingly difficult for them to have the drive to continue trying to find housing. And then you have people who become chronically homeless. And, and if we can get them early, if we can do prevention methods uh, to keep people housed before they're out on the street, a lot of that does so much good work upfront uh, to prevent um, later issues. And then one last thing I would say to build on what you're uh, requesting of your viewers, when you go to these spaces, when you volunteer, when you talk to the nonprofits, um, the churches, the outreach centers, uh, the temples and the synagogues, ask them why it is that the situation you're in is like that. Ask them, is there some policy? Is there a political change, a zoning change, a funding change from your local government that could help them in those situations? And you'd be surprised at the answers. You'd be surprised at how powerful the local council or mayor is in zoning, in permitting, in allowing different um, ordinances to pass. Right now in LA City, just a couple years ago, they passed what's called an anti-camping ordinance, 4118. And it basically says, if you are unsheltered, you can't be unsheltered in certain designated areas. And it allows the police to come in and sweep those areas and kick people out. It ruins their security. It sometimes gets um, a lot of their paperwork thrown away, stuff that they need for social security or disability. And it's become very problematic. 4118 is a hugely controversial issue in the city of LA. You cross the border into Burbank and we don't have anti-camping ordinances. We just don't because we know it doesn't work. I think at the end of the day, it's about figuring out where the problems lie, figuring out how they can be reversed if there's some, like you said, local ordinance or something. And also just giving people a helping hand, doing what you can to stop the problem before it starts. Like you said, if we can stop people, if we can give a stopgap before you become homeless, where you have somewhere to go, somewhere to get back on your feet, and then we make policies to make it so that people don't get to that point in the first place, that would really help. Now, you went from actor to uber driver to city council to mayor and now you're running for la county supervisor so what made you want to make that move and i'm assuming it's because you think you can help even more people in that in that uh role yes because clearly you're kicking ass as mayor (laughs) (laughs) yes absolutely um we've done a lot of great strides here in um, burbank but when i look at all the problems we still have left a lot of that is at the county level so The city of Burbank does not have their own uh, Department of Public Health, doesn't have their own Department of Mental Health. Um, We don't run the county jails. The supervisors do. And for those people who don't know, um, under California state law, every single county in Los Angeles needs to have five county supervisors. And so Los Angeles County, with 10 million people, has five supervisors, each of whom represent 2 million Americans. That is bigger than most states. Yeah. The LA County supervisors have more power than the average governor in the United States. To get things accomplished for the people. Yep. Yep. And it's zoning, it's construction, it's permits, it's $40 billion annually of funding that they allocate. My current supervisor is a Republican. I know that's shocking. This is Los Angeles County. And we have a Republican representing 2 million Angelinos. 2 million people answer to a Republican supervisor. In Burbank, we are asking for additional 
uh, mental health professionals from the Department of Public Health, and we've been denied from our supervisor. We've asked for millions of dollars in homeless funding, and we've been denied by our supervisor. And Burbank isn't the only city that's had the same problem. Glendale, Pasadena, Santa Clarita, these are all big cities. A lot of people know them by name, but they're all having the same problem, and they're all under the auspices of this Republican supervisor. You know, I'm running a progressive campaign to flip this seat. It is one of the most talked about races right now in LA because it's moving the needle in a huge way. Most of the seats in LA County are, okay, it's a, it's a moderate Democrat being replaced by a progressive Democrat, or it's a progressive Democrat being replaced by a far left Democrat, right? This is a conservative Republican, and I'm running as a very progressive far left Democrat, a, a Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren Democrat. And it is going to change the landscape for 2 million Americans in a way that they've never seen before. A Democrat hasn't held this office in over 40 years. In my lifetime, there has not been a Democrat in this seat. And so I'm trying to do something that no one in modern history has done, which is beat an incumbent LA County supervisor. Normally, they're termed out and somebody w wins the seat in an open race. I'm not waiting for a term to end. This needs to change now. And people ask me, they're like, why? Why would you waste your time going up against uh, the behemoth of an incumbent Republican? And I said, because it's the right thing to do and because it needs to happen. And if there's anybody who can do it, it's me because I appeal to a broad swath of voters, young, old, moderate, conservative. They listen to my message and they understand that I'm very different than most politicians. I made $22,000 last year. I'm still broke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. I get it. But you're a common sense politician. That's what I would say. I would say you're a common sense Democrat. You're like, look, these are things that we can fix, but we're not going to fix them if this person keeps blocking it. I can fix it. Look, here's a problem that needs to be solved. Here's what we need to do. Get rid of this ordinance, do the thing, fix the problem. You are working in common sense. You are the kind of politician that most of us wish was out there. You're the kind of politician that most of us go, well, if they were all like that, I wouldn't hate them, right? <laughs> that is, that's the kind of politician you are. So it's not, it's not surprising that people are like that you appeal to a broad swath of people because what you're doing is you're speaking to our common sense, which I think is where we're all at now. We're all at just talk to me in normal terms. Tell me what's going on. I can see there's a problem. Can you fix it? You're like, I can if I get rid of X, Y, and Z and bring in this. Yeah. And you're like, then do it. Most, like, of the, most of the cities in LA County still run on fossil fuels. People think oh. we're like this blue progressive area of the country. We still burn natural gas. And our supervisor right now has blocked for 20 years every single solar and wind permit in the district. Why? Why are we not building renewable energy? My plan is to build a thousand megawatts of solar and wind. A thousand megawatts. That would get a ton of our cities off of fossil fuels. Just simple stuff like that. And I don't even have to do the work. People are uh, applying for permits every week. And also yeah, this happens it. all the time. It's like with electric cars. They were all there and the gas companies kept buying up the permits so we didn't make them. Mm -hmm. This is what we need to do. We need to get the people who are standing in the way of progress out of our way. And that means stepping up and running like you are and us are coming out and voting for people like you to make these decisions for us. And, and donating. And donating always. And that's what I'm going to say. Look, I want to thank you for joining us today. Honestly, your story to me is so inspirational. And I want to tell people like, listen, Go out and give someone a helping hand. Give someone that's struggling a helping hand. Help them with money, with services, with your skills, with whatever, to keep them from falling off the edge, but also to help them from coming back because you could be helping, you know, the next mayor. Your political advocacy has always been based in paying it forward. You were given help and so you want to help others. That from your earliest days of protests against forced institutions to serving as the chair of the California Democratic Party's Disabilities Caucus, you've always put your talents and your experience towards helping others. 
And I really want to thank you for that because it is deeply inspiring to people like me who talk about public service and about government all the time. And I just want to say I wish you nothing but success in the future. So here, here we are in fundraising. Tell people how they can follow you. Tell people how they can help move you forward and tell people how they can help you help others. Absolutely. And you know, speaking of help, I'm very careful who I take help from. I'm the only candidate in this race that does not take corporate money. I don't take money from corporations. I don't take money from um, police unions. I don't take money from fossil fuel executives. I don't even take money from realtors, developers, or landlords because, because I know- Because then you owe them. But yeah, exactly. I don't want mm-hmm. to owe them and I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So I'm reaching out to individual people. You can go to my website, ConstantineAnthony.com. It's Constantine with a K. The maximum contribution in this race, get this, the maximum contribution is $1,500, which seems like a lot, but is about half of what a congressional candidate raises. And congressional candidates only have like 200, 250,000 constituents. I'm running to represent 2 million Americans, 2 million. And that $1,500 goes a very long way to changing a lot of people's lives. We have a huge immigrant population in the district that I'm running in, Hispanic, uh, AAPI, uh, Armenian. And a lot of these people are um, undocumented. A lot of these people are working on getting their citizenship. And for someone in office to be able to take care of all 2 million people, regardless of their status, is so very important. We have a huge LGBTQ contingent in, in this district that is being targeted right now by right-wingers, by Moms of Liberty, by Libs of TikTok. I personally got blasted by Libs of TikTok over the summer. It was a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. nightmare. We got death threats and bomb threats. It was horrible, simply because we dared to say that LGBTQ individuals should be um, treated as equals. So please head on over to the website. Uh, You can do a monthly recurring donation, and every single dollar goes towards paying my staff a living wage, I support people who have a living wage. That's a a core component of my campaign and pushing for progressive issues in every single corner of this district. It's a very different race than most people have ever seen in the county. And we're going to do something that nobody's ever done before. It's a different race from a different kind of guy running a different kind of politics. And I think it's the kind of politics we all should be supporting, whether we live in Burbank or we live in Toledo. You know, this is the kind of politicians we want to see. And you succeeding will only encourage us to hire way more of yous around the country. I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Constantine. Thank you so much. And everyone go to his website. Send the man some money. Let's get him elected. (laughs) Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. So that was Constantine Anthony, the mayor of Burbank and poster child of what's possible when we give people a helping hand. Most people aren't unhoused because there's something wrong with them. They're unhoused because there's something wrong with our society. We need to think about these problems differently and hire the people trying to solve them with deliberation. Know who your mayor is, know who's on your school board and city council and watch what they do. And if you don't like it, replace them because you only need to look at Constantine to see what's possible when you have leaders who truly get it. I want to thank Constantine for joining us today and you for caring enough about your fellow man to be here. Now give some time or money to your local shelter and send some money to Constantine Anthony's campaign. We need more politicians like him who use a lifetime of common sense to fight for what's right. Happy Thanksgiving, my friends. Until next week. PG. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.